This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. Lovely to have your company here on NPR NZ or if you're listening through the internet. Property Matters, of course, a show where we talk all things property or as much as we can possibly squeeze into this half hour format. So we'll start with a little bit of local news and then we'll go around some of the interesting things that are happening in the housing market, whether it be residential sales, renting, commercial and so forth, just to have a bit of a catch up on what's been happening. So first of all, this article from Stuff in the Manawatu Standard, this is about the Pioneer Highway Countdown Store. It says residents want answers on long-awaited Pioneer Highway Countdown. So Palmas North residents are frustrated and demanding answers as the long-awaited supermarket is delayed once again, adding to eight years of legal wrangling and setbacks. How hard does it have to be for a supermarket to open? It really does make you wonder. A, they quote a resident, Dave Smith in Ambliev, who says that he and other residents were beyond frustrated with the parade of false starts, missed deadlines and lack of information in their long wait for the supermarket. We're looking for answers because it seems like the council are putting up roadblocks to the development, he said. Smith said the new countdown was talked up as a convenience for local nearby residents and an asset to the city which would create 80 jobs. But eight years later, it's still an eyesore, it's an empty lot, he says he drives by two or three times a day going to work or picking up the kids and they're sick of it. He also said that construction's always touted as being a couple of months away. So where's the sat? A countdown spokeswoman said the development had experienced some minor delays with building consent, which the company was working through with the Palmerston North City Council. And Council Chief Customer Officer Chris Dureberg wouldn't elaborate further on what the hold-up with consent was. And Countdown then deferred all questions on the details of the delay back to the council. So Mele Nata, who lived around the corner from the development site, said it was sad the supermarket was delayed again with no indication given to residents when construction would actually start. She says, I wish they hadn't taken down the old Awapuni Tavern buildings now, they were better than nothing that is there. So Progressive Enterprises which is the parent company of Countdown, they bought the former Awapuni Tavern site in 2013. It took three years to get the resource consent for the proposed development after Progressive clashed with the City Council over new urban planning rules in a, in a dispute that went to Environment Court. And that delay added half a million dollars to the already $16 million price tag. And Countdown spent another couple of years reassessing and adjusting its plans, which led to an application to alter the resource consent. And those were approved last February, and now it's begun its work on the consent application and put out a tender to find the contractor to build the supermarket. So it's a long story. Gee, it'll be good when a supermarket is put in there. I remember I used to live in Kelvin Grove in the days before the supermarket was built there. And it was such a wonderful thing to have a supermarket nearby as opposed to having to drive 
in, that, in those days uh, to New World and Broadway, which was the nearest. So the folks living now at the end of town, you can understand the frustration because it would just be so convenient. It also affects generally house prices as well in an upwards way where there is more amenities, more shopping, etc. within a suburb. This next article was a national one. And this says that the RSA shocked by New Zealand Defence Force rent hikes and calls for review. So the President of the Return Services Association has called for a review of the Defence Force following the shocking rent rights, sorry, rent hikes military personnel are facing. The NZDF will increase rents at its housing and barracks accommodation from April the 1st with some families facing a rent rise of more than $100 a week. It cited inland revenue negotiations for the increase, but the RSA president, BJ Clark, said the scale of the hike was shameful. He said, I would like all public sector organisations involved to review the need for such a large-scale one-off increase and protect the conditions of service of our military personnel. So with so many uniformed personnel deployed around New Zealand staffing COVID-19 managed isolation facilities, the increase in rent would only add more pressure to the already strained families. Given the time frame that the changes are going to be implemented, the ability for the staff to effectively plan for these increases will also further add to stress. Now the... Mr Clark went on to say he did not think it was appropriate to make comparisons between market conditions and the circumstances of military families. He says personnel are regularly required to move, often living, living where they would not have chosen. In such circumstances, the forced nature of having to live in a place not of the individual's choosing is partially mitigated by the lower-than-market rents. Those of you who rent in the private sector, of course, will know that there has been increases of around um, and around that, or up to $100 a week in some areas around here. So if you're getting a bit worried about the rents, remember Wellington is the area that's got the, the highest uh, median rents at the moment. So I grabbed this article as well uh, about a couple who, well the, well the headlines is, the couple escape Wellington's escalating rent prices by setting up home on a boat. So Tom Turner, 22, and his partner Simone Zollner have taken up a romantic lifestyle living on a yacht while escaping Wellington's escalating rent prices. So if you wanted to escape these massively increasing rent prices in Wellington, consider living aboard a boat, but be prepared to fork out several thousand dollars for a vessel and wait months for a berth in one of Wellington's overstuffed marinas. So this couple have bypassed the rental crisis by paying $100 a week for a berth in the Seaview Marina. It's not for everyone, said Turner. First you have to buy the boat, but once you've done that, it works out to be at a quarter of the price to rent a flat. The couple's decision to live aboard a boat comes amongst Wellington's worsening rental crisis, with the region becoming the first in the country to cross the $600 median weekly rent milestone, according to the recent Trade Me Rental Price Index. So it's not uncommon to pay $280 a week for a room in a flat, uh, Miss Zollner said. The Turner bought the disused yacht for $5,000 early last year before sinking $3,000 into repairs on the vessel, which had fallen into dis- disrepair. So there were rainwater leaks in the engine room, holes in the teak wood, the sails were gone, and the rigging needed some serious work. But the trained marine engineer did all the repairs himself and said the necessary skilled labour, plus the initial $8,000 investment, might prove prohibitive for most. 
So what's it like to live in a boat? Well, Zona said the 12 metre long yacht was cosy, in inverted commas, with an interior of around 6 metres by 2.5 that included a galley kitchen, a small saloon and double bed. But the pier was always available for them for some space. Turner says it's like living on a camper van, but in the water. So Seafrew Marina Limited Chief Executive Alan McClellan said there's currently 60 liveaboard boats berthed in the marina, with about 80 people in total living on the vessels. The number of dedicated liveaboard boats had doubled since 2014, with the marina row in full capacity. It's interesting, because what if you had a recreational boat that you wanted a berth for, but uh, nobody's moving, because they're actually living there. So quite interesting indeed. So that led to a wider discussion in that article about rent prices, etc. But we won't worry about that right now. But I did find a, an article that I quite liked, and this is in the lifestyle section of stuff.co.nz, and it's on February the 13th, 2021, this was. Now, the reason I wanted to mention that was it's quite a good article to find. It's called The Secret Life of Home Stages. Secret Life of Home Stages from February the 13th, twenty one. So you may have heard me speak of the merits in the past with regards home staging as I see in my day-to-day real estate experience the incredible difference it makes to have an empty home staged. And a staged home, uh, the cost of it can pay itself off five or ten times over. It's really incredible the differences that I've seen and, and the prices that are achieved through home staging. So if I ever sell an empty home, there will be no way I wouldn't home stage it knowing the results that I see. You'll have to take my word for that, but it's based on a lot of experience, of course. So this article says, Home stager Anna Stevenson walks out of the four-bedroom house she's just furnished and styled and takes a breather on the street for a couple of minutes. Then she walks back past the glossy green boxes plant she placed by the front door, through the hallway of the 1920s bungalow in Central Nelson, a house the owners and agent expect will sell for over a million dollars and looks at the place with fresh eyes. She walks backwards through the rooms looking at artwork, furniture, rugs, cushions and flowers she has added to the spaces. In the kitchen is a vase of late-blooming magnolias. Several trees are planted on the compact section, but in this case the blooms are supplemented by flowers from Stevenson's own garden. Beside the vase is a chunky Gordon Ramsay recipe book turned to recipe with red and green imagery chosen to subtly reflect the season. Stevenson admires the way the eye is drawn to the backyard. I could live here, she thinks, and that is how she knows she's done a good job of staging. So it's really interesting because this particular lady has been staging homes for five years with her business called Open Home Ready and has 25 house slots of furniture stored in between stagings and a huge three-bay barns on her lifestyle block at Mapua. Quite incredible that you're, the investment you'd probably need to put into it. People who are fans of home staging, which I certainly am, say that it can increase the sales price and decrease the time to sale of what is people's most important or biggest asset. Now there's little to no New Zealand research that proves fitting out your home with designer furnishings will add tens of thousands of dollars above RV to the sales price, but the anecdotal evidence is plentiful, with costs anywhere from $1,500 to $12,000 for larger higher-end homes, clients do expect results. Uh, Again, I can mention uh, a couple, they give a couple of articles in in this uh, 
article, and that's why it's well worth a look because they also show you before and after photographs. If you wanted to look up home staging on stuff.co.nz and look at these before and after photographs, the results are, are quite simply stunning. Really makes those homes seem a, a lot better, and it can certainly help it make make homes stand out from the competition and look its best for sale, according to Bindi Norwell, who's the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. She said agents weren't all in an agreement of home staging, which is interesting, but those who used it regularly understood the advantages and benefits it can provide in terms of helping to achieve a higher sales price for the vendor. For some agents it's not negotiable, and for others they'll use it when and where it's needed. So it begs the question, in a hot market is the service needed? Well, even in a buoyant market, it still helps present the property in a great light and create the all-important positive first impression with a potential buyer. And as we see uh, open homes happening, uh, offers coming in, multiple offers in this region here in Manawatu, Wanganui, what we find is if people are buying, if they're first home buyers or second home buyers, home staging makes a massive difference in particular because it's emotive, it shows what it would look like. It's like something out of home and garden, and people love it. Uh, there's an example here of a property that um, was in Stonefields of Auckland. There were two properties that were mirror images of each other with the same floor plan. Both were four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and 208 square metres of house. The same rating values, but one that was staged sold for just over 100000 more than the other within the same week. So as a vendor, if you want to achieve top dollar for the sale of your home and home staging can often be the difference between achieving thousands more for a property. So that's something there. Uh, yes, and anecdotal evidence, of course. And um, there's also, if you're looking at staging your home yourself, that article could be interesting as well. Uh, there is actually DIY advice and uh, around preparing your home for sale in that article too. Uh, talks about decluttering, putting oversized or excess furniture in a garage, uh, when you put too much in a room, it looks smaller. Um, remove all your personal details and clean the windows, replace the light bulbs with higher wattage bulbs. And it makes the room appear lighter, brighter and larger. Other things to do when getting your home ready uh, for sale, make sure simple maintenance has been attended to, clean and steam the carpets, keep the neutral, uh, decor neutral, um, have a piece of feature furniture maybe, like an occasional chair, Display artwork even if you have to borrow it. Display books, particularly lifestyle books such as cookbooks, big coffee table books and art books. And always have fresh, fresh foliage and flowers, preferably from the gardens. So there's some extra tips there. You can have a look at that article again on lifestyle section of stuff. But right now we're going to go to a bit of music and uh, today I've chosen a bit of Dire Straits to get us through this short break, The Sultans of Swing. But you don't see too many faces 
you're back. You're listening to Property Matters on NPR, Manutu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. So I'm Greg Watson, lovely having your company. And we were talking before the break about home staging, which was, of course, a, a very interesting topic, and certainly visually if you have the chance to look at the difference between uh, before and afters. And really the amounts of money that you can get uh, as a return on the money spent for home staging is, is pretty incredible. But right now we're looking at the market, the busy market at the moment, and this article of Stuff Business recently says, how many offers can I make on properties at once? So competition for property is high right now, and it is incredibly disheartening to miss out on multiple homes. Uh, this is an article written by Belinda Moffat. So with the market being so competitive, it can feel a bit like taking a gamble when you make an offer on the property, but buying a house isn't like betting on a horse race where you can spread your bets across the field in the hope that one will come in. A property purchase is a major commitment, and if anything goes wrong, the financial and emotional impacts can be significant and long-lasting. This came about as an advice column where the writer said, My partner and I are trying to buy a house. We made an offer on a property, and while waiting to hear back, the deadline sale date for another property we, we really liked came and went. We didn't know, put an offer in because we didn't know the rules about having two offers live at the same time, and is it allowed? So there we go, um, because... If the first offer was rejected, then then it would feel like they've missed out on both properties. So going back to the article, when you make an offer on a property, you're making a commitment to buying it subject to whatever conditions you include in the offer. So these conditions might be things like getting a satisfactory building inspection report, confirming insurance, or having your finance approved. A sale and purchase agreement, the document that you and the seller sign that lays out all the particulars of sale, like the price, chattels and settlement date, is a legally binding contract. Whether you can make offers on other properties will depend how your conditions are written. So if you have two offers live at the same time, you could end up with both offers being accepted and two legally binding contracts. And this would leave you with commitments to two parties. And that's why you should always speak to your lawyer before you make an offer and get advice about the commitment you are making. If you're working to a particular timeline, you can always ask your lawyer to add a sunset clause to your offer, which gives it an expiry date. This allows you to have certainty that your offer has either been accepted or declined by that date and time, so you're free to make an offer on other properties. So that's called a sunset clause. Talk to your lawyer about that one. Gives the vendors time to decide. Another area where you can find out about adding clauses to a sale and purchase agreement is settled.govt.nz, the Real Estate Authority's independent website for buyers and sellers at settled.govt.nz. Alternatively, if you've already submitted an offer and you've had a change of heart, you can ask the agent about withdrawing your offer. In this situation, we recommend you have the agent confirm in writing that your offer has been withdrawn. Keep in mind that making a conditional offer on a property, such as having finance approved, will not provide you with a get-out-of-jail-free card if you later decide you don't want to go through with the purchase. So what used to happen a bit uh, was that people would make an offer subject to finance and then if for any reason they wanted out of that contract, they could say that they just were unable to get their finance. But that's changed. In this situation now, you could be required to prove that you weren't able to get finance. The better option is just simply to arrange for your offer to be withdrawn promptly. 
So navigating the home buying process can sometimes feel like a series of big, stressful and confusing decisions. So ask lots of questions, use independent sources of information like settled.govt.nz and do your homework on a property before you make an offer. It's important to think about the long-term obligations that property ownership brings and seek advice from professionals like a lawyer, a financial advisor, building inspector and valuer to help you make the best decision. Of course, the more information you have, the better position you'll be in to navigate the transaction with confidence. In other news, of course, you'll probably know by now that, that the Reserve Bank has tightened rules on the property investors again. And again, the government is announcing initiatives designed to cool the property market and help first home buyers. So loan-to-value restrictions, which limit the amount of low-deposit mortgage lending banks can do, will be tightened to restrict the flow of money to property investors this year, Reserve Bank says. Restrictions were lifted in April 2020 so as not to stifle a housing market that was expected to suffer a significant slowdown because of COVID-19. But that hasn't happened, and instead house prices have shot ahead and investor activity increased. Reserve Bank Deputy Governor and General Manager of Financial Stability, Jeff Bassand, says in, due, in part due to the success of the health and economic policy responses, we have witnessed a rapid acceleration in the housing market, with new records being set for the national median price and new mortgage lending continuing at a strong pace. He goes on to say that we are now concerned about the risk a sharp correction the housing market poses for financial stability. There is evidence of a speculative dynamic emerging with many buyers becoming highly leveraged. A growing number of highly indebted borrowers, especially investors, are now financially vulnerable to house price corrections and disruptions in their ability to service the debt. Highly leveraged property owners and particular investors are prone to rapid fire sales that potentially amplify a downturn. So they're just being very cautious there to see where things are. Again, as I've mentioned a number of times on the show, Manawatu is quite insulated from changes in that uh, it's a very busy area indeed, a lot of people moving here and a bit of a shortage of housing. So will there be a correction or a downturn uh, maybe in some areas? I wouldn't think it will happen in uh, one or two for a few years yet. Uh, that's just my prediction but it is based on um, a lot of uh, background reading and uh, a lot of knowledge of what's happening here locally. So that's all we have time for this week on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company. You can always find me by searching Greg Watson in Palmas North on the internet if you want to uh, find a way of making contact to discuss anything from this show or property in general. So lovely hearing, uh, <laughs> lovely having you here, I should say, and I uh, wish you a very good week until next week on Property Matters. Thanks for listening. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.